greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And as always, I'm your host, Patrick, and joined again this week with my uh, co-host, Leslie, as we keep our rewatch, or not rewatch, but our watch of Star Trek Picard um, ongoing and doing our reviews of them. Now we're doing, uh, since we were a week behind last week, um, and the first part of the season finale has aired this week. Uh, we are kind of going to keep episodes 9 and 10 paired together, especially after stuff we discussed uh, before recording, uh, to give a more well-rounded review and then an overall review of the season, because there were a lot of things that happened in episode 9 that we feel like is going to be paid off in the second part in episode 10, and we'd rather analyze that together. So we are going to focus mainly on episode 8, Broken Pieces, Um which I'm really excited to talk about. I know I mentioned before we started recording that I was kind of dreading rewatching the episode only because it was a very long, not super long episode, but it was a longer episode and there was a lot of things that happened in it. But then when rewatching it and taking my notes, I found myself really enveloped in the episode. Um, but the premise of this one is Picard realizes how far some will go to protect secrets that go back generations when truths about the attack on Mars are revealed. Narissa orders her guards to capture Elnor, setting off a chain reaction on the Borg cube. Um, so again, like as most of the episodes have all been, we've start with another, uh, flashback to, was it 14 years ago again? I, I believe it was. Yeah, it was, it was 14 years ago back to that. Um, planet right and and before again before the attack on mars and on all that mm-hmm. and we see um an eightfold star system uh we have O, who is kind of narrating uh, the sequence right now um that this planet that they're on is a storehouse of memories um and she's preparing these romulans for the admonition um which would prevent the second coming of destroyers which uh, we get more of a, a reveal on what that all means in, in episode uh, nine, but uh, some interesting things before I, I ask you a question about this. Uh, we, we see that Narissa is there and Ramda is there. Uh, so this was before Ramda becomes assimilated to the Borg and that um, Narissa and Ramda are, I don't know if they're directly related because she calls her auntie, but it doesn't really seem like they're actually genetically related that she took her and Narek in when they were children and their parents died. Um, 
but uh, it's possible. Yes. I mean, it, it just it, it, it not 100 percent sure it's not really there. It just it didn't. I don't know. It, it felt weird because like with Narek, like acting like he didn't really know Ramda before, again, being a Tao Shiar and, and Jat Vash, uh, it would make sense that he wouldn't try to let on that he knows who Ramda is. Um, but we uh, kind of get, again, the um, thing that we saw in O's mind meld with Girardi in the previous episode of this kind of mass destruction um, and an AI synthetic uh, that kind of turns into uh, into data. And a lot of them, uh, and of course, O says this beforehand, that like some of you will go mad, some of you will die, and then those of you left behind will be the ones to like carry on the mission. Uh, I thought it was really weird that the AI kind of turned into data, considering what we know from the, the next episode. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this uh, scene? <laughs> well, the very first thing that I wondered is... Uh, uh, well, let me take a step back. The first thing that popped into my head was an episode of Farscape and also a similar episode of Voyager where they run into ancient technology and it's showing them things from the past and they think that they know what's going on and it turns out the technology's broken. So my first thought was, I bet you this thing's broken and they're all just going crazy for no good reason. That was literally the first thought when I was watching it. Um, otherwise, the standard doom and gloom stuff... I mean, I don't know. It just all kind of still seems like standard doom and gloom that we don't totally understand, but that maybe Agnes understands and they understand because they're going through it. I I think the data face was just kind of in there just because I don't know that it was anything that was specific. I think that's one of those things that they did for us, the viewers. That could very well be. Uh, it just um, it seemed a little odd to me. And again, like you said, it's not very... And it makes sense uh, in the context of the next episode why we're only getting these like glimpses and flashes. But I was like you thinking that um, they were getting more of the whole picture than what we, the audience, were seeing. But we come to realize later on that, uh, again, in the next episode, not to try to jump too far ahead, but that the Romulans themselves are not necessarily getting the full picture themselves which I find very interesting to kind of create this whole uh, secret society or secret police that is dedicating themselves to this uh, cause based on only pieces of the picture and not the whole. I can understand from like the idea of these planets exploding and mass destruction that you would be concerned, but um, and, and they call it the admonition, they call it the warning and everything, but it's, there's more to it than what we realize. And um, one thing I did find also really odd about this scene was Norissa is the only one out of the entire group uh, that touched the ring that is like, okay. The rest are clawing at their faces, uh, hitting their heads on rocks, tearing out their hair. The one takes her disruptor uh, and uh, shoots herself. Very odd that like only one out of the group managed to keep their entire sanity. I mean, Ramda manages to kind of come back a little bit, but it was really weird that it was Narissa. Um, I don't know if you had any particular thoughts on that. No, not that she was the only one. I I don't know. 
Yeah, it, just, that's just one of those plot things where I'm just thinking like, oh, well, there she is. Oh, well, that's how she got there. Yeah, so it just it was it was a little interesting. I, it was more of me picking it up. I think on my second watch when I'm looking more at it critically than just uh, just watching the program. But um, now we jump to present day, and Narissa's kind of looking over Ramda at um, kind of in a med bay facility on the board cube. And uh, I didn't pick this up the first time, and I don't know if you picked this up on, on either time you watched it, but um, it seemed to be based on the conversation that Narissa's having with her, even though there's no uh, response from Ramda because she's in this kind of coma-like state, uh, that it was Ramda's mission to, like, infiltrate the Borg cube, and it was Ramda... Um, it, it wasn't her mission. Okay, the board cube, I think, assimilate. I, I, my assumption when I was watching it those couple times was that they were on different ships when they left that grief planet, and the Borg happened to go to Ramda's ship and assimilate it, and she was still in that crazed, grief, cra- you know, insanity state, and that's what broke the board cube. Oh, see, I had a different read on that because I didn't, uh, I didn't pick up that it was immediately after them leaving the planet. I thought it happened later, and then it was Ramda who, through her sheer will, was causing the cascade failure of the board cube. Um, I did put down maybe her mission, but I, I I don't know. I had a different read on that than you did, so that's very interesting. Maybe I need to go back and watch it a third time and and see if I, I, I pick up on what, what you're uh, putting there, because I, I, it would make sense... Um, it would make sense that that type of reaction could cause a cascade failure. But at the same time, I would I would see the Borg maybe taking that and considering, again, like not to jump ahead to the next episode, but what we have revealed in the next episode, the Borg, I would think, would have been able to assimilate and understand that uh, that vision, you know, Um I don't know. It's just pure speculation. I I just, I got that impression mostly because Narissa says you lost your mind. And I'm thinking, well, you know, she, she was already in distress at that point on the planet. I don't know that she got it back well enough to be able to go like on a mission. Oh, might have like directed her at the board cube, you know, kind of like a bomb or a torpedo, but I don't know that she was sane enough to like have a mission and fulfill it like Narissa. It could very well be, and and maybe we'll, because um, I I still think we'll have some stuff with the board cube coming in the in the finale, a little bit to some extent. That maybe that will wrap up everything that we still have questions about with the board cube, um, because like this one is is definitely um, very kind of board cube focused, even though I feel like they don't take the majority of the time. And like you and I talked about in the previous episode review, like that all the board cube scenes that they kind of had on that episode could have easily fit into this one. And, uh, even though it would have made the episode runtime a little bit longer, uh, would have maybe felt more organic to everything else. Um, but while during this time, uh, she's made aware that they have found Elnor, um, and, there's a nice like little kind of fight sequence, but eventually he's overpowered. And as they're getting him down to kind of handcuff him, uh, seven of nine is there to save him. Now I, I didn't really, it didn't bother me the first time I watched the episode, but the second time it actually kind of bothered me a little bit because you know, he presses the, the, 
the SOS badge, basically. And um, all of a sudden, like, she's there, like, how she teleports onto the Borg Cube, how she gets there without any issue. Um, I, I don't know how to make sense of that. Because, like, with Picard, they had to go through channels and everything to just be able to teleport on there. And... I just don't know. Again, this is probably overthinking the whole whole situation or the whole scene. I just don't know how she gets on there so easily. Uh, and I mean, I know how she could find him, obviously, because of the, the tracker or whatever. Um, but her just all of a sudden just showing up with having no issues getting on there uh, bugs me a little bit. I don't know if it bugs you. Um, it really didn't because my thoughts would be number one, she's a Borg. And also number two, she says, where's Hugh? Cause she's obviously we assume that that's a chip that she had given to Hugh. Right. And I assume that he probably has some little back channels and things going on, you know, a little, maybe a little bit hidden from the Romulans. Could very well be. Yeah. I, I just, again, like it didn't, didn't bother me the first time I watched it. The second time I was like, okay, this is a little convenient. Uh, maybe, maybe we needed to have a little bit of that, just like not necessarily shown, but told because she immediately goes like, where's Hugh, uh, and everything like that. If she would just said, you know, oh, I, you know, I snuck in here through back channels trying to find Hugh, where is he? Uh, maybe that would have been enough to kind of satisfy that little curiosity and of myself. Yeah. Um, and that goes back to like what I said last episode where that Borg stuff, I've, we both agreed could have been done without and could have been reworked into this episode. Go again, back to Hugh could still have been alive. They could have been getting her onto the ship, you know, and then fighting their way to the queen cell and all that stuff that I, that I said last time that could have all been reworked into here and maybe have made all of that better. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think like, cause again, this, this episode was very, board cube focused but also kind of shorthanded a little bit on the board cube stuff that they could have easily the stuff that bothered us in that previous episode could have been reworked into here um you know he could have even been very uh injured in the fight with like narissa and that he, uh, elnor takes you to his kind of office hugh shows where the badge is and he clicks it and then he dies and then that's when she shows up or she shows up right before he dies or something like that. It might have flowed a little bit better and would have made a little bit more sense. Um, yeah. So now we're back on the La Serena and um, Rios is having a reaction to seeing Soji. Um, and like Picard is trying to get his attention and his focus. Um, <clears throat> he's really kind of out of it, which gets explored later throughout the episode and um, they lay in a course for deep space 12 and Rio says that after that he's done. So something with Soji obviously is causing him to react very negatively to, um, to her and to the mission. Um, Rafi is also not really receptive uh, and she's explaining to Picard that, uh, that they had a, that Girardi was uh, basically a spy for the Tal Shiar. And um, he's, of course, not aware of this because he's been, he was down on Nepenthe um, with Riker and all that when the events of what was happening on the La Serena were happening. So I, I felt it was a little weird that Rafi immediately went into, like, defensive mode. I mean, I know she's kind of conspiracy theory lady, but, like, 
immediately almost blaming Picard for having this um, sleeper cell agent kind of on board the ship that Soji would be no different. And I get she's very distrustful, but it felt a little weird at the same time. Um, and so to kind of fill in Picard on everything that happens, we uh, see her being in a, kind of a coma. The EMH is explaining her condition and also explains how Girardi killed Maddox. Now, considering how you had the issue with um, how easily she, you know, deactivated the EMH with Bruce Maddox's death, well, what did you think about this particular scene? Okay, so the fact that I finally got my comeuppance <laughs> and the EMH was allowed to speak was good, but I still think her just being able to say deactivate the EMH was so, so too simple huge plot hole for me in particular. Yeah. I understand if nobody else feels that way, but for me, that is a major plot hole. Um, because my thinking is still, cause he even later in this, later in this episode refers to his Hippocratic coding. Yeah. And I'm thinking if he has coding or whatnot like that, he should have at least been able to flag an alert up on Rios's screen or something saying, um, Hey, somebody's still in distress and I just got deactivated. Yeah. You, would you know, definitely because think. how do you, how do you, I don't know, how do you come to terms with the fact that you can just turn off the EMH and you just hope that nobody turns him back on so he can say, oh, hey, she turned me off and I think he, she killed this guy. Well, and like, not only that, like we, we saw in the previous episode that is immediately as soon as she um, injected herself with the toxin, he immediately activated. So, right. You know, he's kind of got a self turn on and even uh, thinking back to Voyager and it's been a while since I revisited all of Voyager. I would believe that the EMH on that was able to um, at certain moments be able to activate himself, deactivate himself or be able to send messages through the system um, when something wacky or crazy was going on, if, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm thinking like, okay, I understand it's like basic installations and whatnot. I'm just thinking in terms of the fact that this is a doctor, right? right. There's got to be some extra layers of coding there in the ship to say that like, Hey, you know, this is a very important thing and I should be able to, you know, flag a message up on Rios' screen that says something's going on in the med bay and I just got deactivated. You, you would think, and uh, I guess maybe, with, um, you know, there is kind of, I guess, an explanation that we'll get into a little bit later on in this uh, in this episode uh, with the tweaking that Rios did. Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily intended to, like, make an excuse for this, but it just kind of came to my mind right now where, yeah. um, you know, they certain things that they should know. Like, I think even the hospitality uh, hologram says, like, oh, ask me what temperature to cook this particular thing at. And she asked and he's like, I couldn't tell you. So maybe because of his own internal tweakings uh, to their systems or to their programming could have possibly like that. It's stretching. Yeah. It's stretching. But it, it's a it, there at least is a potential excuse there. But right. Um, and I'm not denying the fact that there could be. I just say, like, for me personally, huge plot hole. Right. And I think, again, like I was expecting them to fill in that plot hole in a later episode, even if it was that next episode after Maddox's death, showing that she tweaked with the systems so that it would have made sense that after she deactivated the EMH, he couldn't turn himself on 
and he couldn't uh, flag it in Rios' system. Would have made a lot more sense and probably would have smoothed that out a little bit more. But um, we then have Picard and Clancy having a meeting. And I kind of I, I thought I thought about this more on my second watch because I know we, we talked about this in the I think in the second episode review uh, that people were upset that he was getting yelled at by women and getting dressed down and everything in that particular uh, scenario. But here we get Picard actually dressing down Clancy. I mean, he's just going all out on her. Like, see, I was right. Uh, the windmills have turned into giants. Like I demand this, this and this. And then she, again, we get the F bomb, which still doesn't yeah. quite fit within. It, it's, it seems in some parts where they've dropped it. Um, it's, fit i guess more more appropriate maybe from the the non-starfleet s characters like i think gerardi has dropped a couple and it's like okay well she's a doctor she's not really starfleet go ahead like when when she dropped it she was like having a mental breakdown yeah yeah and it and it makes sense and like again from even characters that are non like i would even say if like elnor dropped it which it considering how we know the character of Eleanor, who's very childlike, we wouldn't expect him to drop it, but you could expect him as a Romulan to kind of drop some type of slur uh, or curse word rather. And uh, it would not necessarily feel out of place, but when you have Starfleet officers in Starfleet uniform yeah. uh, in their official capacity using that language, that's when it definitely really feels off. Like, could you imagine if Kirk, like in many of the episodes, just would have been like, F you and F this and F that, like, oh, let's F and get him. Like how weird that would would feel like that would put a whole different twist on Wrath of Khan if uh, he was just dropping F bombs every five seconds. <laughs> well, and just think about it in terms of like your home and your work. Yeah. Um, a lot of workplaces, and I know that I'm not going to say all, but there are many workplaces where you cannot get away with, you know, curse words like period. Right. You know, there's a very clear distinction of how you're supposed to speak and talk with each other versus, you know, just saying whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but I, I felt like it was kind of, uh, Picard's like moment to finally like show he can still be authoritative. He can still push when he is, when he knows he's absolutely right. And he has convinced Starfleet of this being a real issue. And now this is what I'm really hoping to kind of see in episode 10, because she says she has a fleet that is getting ready to meet at DS 12 that you know how I talked about Riker still being uh-huh. in active reserve that we might see Riker behind, you know, the captain uh, of a ship. And I would really love to see that. I really am hoping that we, we kind of get that in the finale. Um, so I also, this next scene I thought was a little weird because Ra- you know, Rafi tried to rub it in Picard's face that, you know, oh, that there was this um, double agent and she was working for the Romulans all, all along. And, Picard just kind of took it and didn't really like give her any type of pleasure. And um, so she goes to the captain's chair and we we can tell from the way that the camera's positioned that it's the uh, the ENH or Enoch. And Rafi doesn't quite tell that it's not Rios because like I would understand if he looked the like had the same like hairstyle as Rios 
that she might get them confused or is even wearing the same type of clothing. But the ENH, and just much like the EMH, is very well kept. Like, yeah, he still has the beard, but the hair is, um, you know, very combed back and everything. And uh, it just doesn't make uh, sense that she would understand or not, you know, yeah, mistake the character. Yeah, recognize that it was him. I don't, I mean, like you said, maybe it's just she was kind of angry in the moment and came up behind him and didn't realize until she looked at him. It like his be. face when he turned around? Well, I think she was like in in the way that he was talking uh, that she finally realized that it was him because I think she realizes it before um, before he turns around that it's the a hologram. She doesn't even know at that time um, that it's the uh, that it's even the navigation hologram because uh, she well, goes like, which one are if you? You're, you're like walking up on somebody and you're already kind of distracted in what you're you're thinking about and they look similar enough and then you turn and realize, oh, that's not the person I thought I was talking to. Right, right. And, um, but she's, she's still trying to, like, get, like, why is, uh, you know, Rios acting this way? Who, like, who is, why did he have this reaction? And the ENH tries to identify her and, um, and uh, he, uh, goes, oh, it's Jana, and she's like, no, her name is Soji. And so uh, she also brings up the eight circles from the previous episode. Like, I think you and I talked off air before we recorded last week that you said that that was going to get brought up again in this episode and was important. Yep. And uh, so we realize that it's uh, meant to be for an octanary system, which is extremely rare. Uh, and that she realizes that this is the conclave of eight. Um, and now can, uh, that still seems a little weird. Like it makes sense that that would be the conclave of eight, but the conclave of eight in my mind still is like a, a group of eight individuals. I get it's eight, you know, sons or eight stars, but uh, that they don't have any type of, you know, human interaction or any interaction that can like come up with a secret plan or anything like that. So I still find it a little weird that that's what the conclave of eight is, but at the same time, it makes sense. Um, so then we, um, we, uh, go back to the Borg cube and Narissa sees what's left of the troops that were uh, sent to capture Eleanor. Um, and, we uh, jump to Seven and Eleanor at the Queen Cell and uh, beginning to activate it. Um, at this time, Narissa and um, I wrote down her partner, but I finally got the, the Centurion. I couldn't remember what she was calling him before, uh, that they realized that because of this activation, the cube is regenerating and they are formulating a plan to get rid of uh, the Borg because that's now a potential concern because once you start reactivating the Borg, uh, you have the whole assimilation thing. And I think I think it's at this point, but it might be a little bit later um, that even there's a conversation between Elnor and Seven. Like if she could create a mini collective that would get the Borg up and running. But Seven has the fear of not wanting to release them. And I thought that was a really strong moment uh, for Seven and a very good reason for why she went just like, oh, yeah, let's go ahead and activate the Borg and let's go ahead and start doing this. What, were, what are yeah. your thoughts? 
Yeah, I, I liked that whole scene. And again, I still want everything from the Borg Cube of last time to be reworked and refitted in here somehow. Yeah. But um, I did like it. I agree it was a strong moment, but then I don't feel like it played out well enough later in the episode. Yeah, it, it sets up to be very strong. And and this is an issue I'll have once we get to um, to the, the actual part when this all really kind of comes into fruition. Um, but I, I will agree, the payoff where it doesn't quite work out. Yeah, the um, buildup's better than the payoff. So now we uh, are are back on the uh, La Serena and Picard and Soji are eating breakfast and they're having a conversation about um, whether Picard loved Data and vice versa and kind of still her coming to terms with her being synthetic. And I, I, I thought this was a really, really good moment. Uh, like Picard, like going, you know, in my, in my own way, I loved him. Um, you know, it may not have like necessarily shown outwardly, but deep down he did. And, uh, and, and I'm butchering up because like, I know it was a beautiful kind of monologue <laughs> d- delivered by Patrick Stewart. Uh, but then like he goes, you know, I, I would like to think data loved me, but you know, he was not capable of human feeling. Now I don't know how Soji would actually know this, but as we kind of get later on into the episode, I guess they're kind of like the Borg in the sense, like, they have a collective memory and so somehow they're still connected to data's memories. And she was able to say like, Oh, he did love you. And I I thought that was a very, even if it's impractical with how they came around to saying it, uh, I thought it was a very beautiful moment. Um, Well, I thought she came around to saying that because she had asked him how he would hope that data would remember him. And he had given that of that piece of that beautiful monologue. And from that, she was like, yeah, you know, he did love you. Could be. Um, I, I, I know it was, it was, it was a very powerful moment and maybe the logistics of how the conversation works out. is not what necessarily worked for me, but I still liked the outcome of it. Um, cause I thought it was very nice and it was, uh, and you know, I've seen a lot of people, um, not, not a lot of people. I've seen a few people that have kind of commented online, ones who aren't necessarily liking the show a whole lot, that they were like, no, only Jordy and Data were really fr- true friends. And I'm like, I, yeah, they they were. They were very close. I mean, a lot of the episodes that focus on Data dealt with Jordy a lot. Um, but there were definite key moments. Like, even if we go back to The Measure of a Man, like Picard being his advocate, um in that kind of trial of whether or not data is a sentient being or just a piece of machinery. Like we see, we have plenty of moments throughout next generation. And even in the the next generation movies that data and Picard still had a very strong connection as well. It may not please you because Jordy's not in this show or something, but I, I just feel like that was a really weird way to kind of take on things like, even though he, yeah, was, he was friends with lots of people, we see data interact with all kinds of people with Barkley, with Deanna, with Guinan. Right. Like, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. He has lots of friends. Well, no, not even that just like almost making this assumption that Picard couldn't have that form of connection with anyone other than maybe Riker. Uh, because like, and maybe that's what people always pick on is like Riker and Picard are, are the duo and Jordy and, 
uh, Data are the duo, and I'm trying to even think like Worf's, you know, Worf was just Worf. Worf kind of moved around <laughs> everywhere, but he he more so had a, a, a pair on DS9 than maybe he did on Next Generation, but it just... Uh, it felt weird that people kind of took that because it's like, well, yeah, he's the captain. So he's going to be have people endeared to him. Uh, it may not always outwardly show much like he kind of says in that monologue, but these people all still mean deeply to him. It's why he didn't want to get any of them involved in this whole situation in the first place, because they all mean so much to him. So I thought that was just really, really weird. But uh, that that people would take that. Um so now we're introduced to Ian, the engineering hologram. Now, I know we talked about the um, the ENH maybe having the Scottish accent. I'm guessing that actually the ENH has an Irish accent. Yeah. And this is the true Scottish one, which would make more sense with Scotty, you know, being the engineer on the Enterprise. Uh, but again, like this just showcases. Um, oh, gosh, I don't have it pulled up right now. I need Santiago. To... And I don't know how to pronounce his Cabrera? last name. <laughs> I think it's Cabrera. Um but like this just kind of shows his his range. Yeah. Uh, Santiago Cabrera, because um, like he does all these different accents for all the different ENH programs. And, uh, you know, doing the Scottish one, I was very impressed with like uh, he's got the, the, the wording down, like doing the kin and, and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was just very, very it, it just showcases him like I don't know what people's opinion of him are um, in the show a whole lot because I've kind of stayed away from the negative reviews and whatnot because I know that they're the sect out there that just want to trash it to trash it because they dislike Discovery and everything. And I finally decided, like, no, I don't really need to hear that right now because I know they're just going to immediately dislike it. But he has been one of my favorite characters on the show and his holograms have uh, because they just showcase him as an actor of all the different roles he could actually play in other things um but again like Rafi's still trying to get information about jana and why rios has kind of locked himself away in his cabin uh and he can't really help um so she goes back to her quarters and uh is trying to order alcohol but she's kind of locked herself out of the system so that she just doesn't fall back into her depression um, and then we have the hospitality hologram show up and um, they talk about why Rios is locked away. And he kind of is the one who gives the explanation that um, when Rios got the La Serena, he uh, did the self scan for the holograms, which is why all the holograms look like him um, and that they're all kind of a piece of Rios's psyche. And this is where it's also mentioned that he did a little, uh, tinkering with the programs and some of them all have things that they should know that's uh, a little off now. Um, but I thought that that was an interesting aspect. Like if you're such a broken person, why? And again, like also the, the hospitality program, and this is maybe why the hospitality program is hated so much by Rios because he, he just is able to pick up on these things and kind of nag at it a little bit. Um, but he's, you know, even says, oh, Rio said it was an accident. And and uh, then he tinkered with us like I, I feel like it is maybe it was Rios unintentionally or uh, unconsciously selecting the self scan to 
maybe torture himself or maybe try to work through everything that happened on the Ibn Majid. Um, but I do like this kind of uh, reason for why all the holograms look like Rios. Yeah, I like the explanation that you can do self-scan, although I don't know why on earth you would want to do that. I, <laughs> I would certainly hate five it. Five copies of yourself. Five copies of myself. I can barely handle myself. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't know if you uh, picked up on this. So we, we then go to Rios's cabin um, and it's kind of panning around. Uh, we see some of, of course, his existentialism uh, books that are kind of all on his bookshelf. But did you catch Sirach's book? Oh, I didn't see Sirach's book. I was a little too focused on all the mermaids. <laughs> well, and that's that was my next note. But uh, when when it, it's the last book that's kind of shown, it's it's um, it's black and it's got in red Sirach on on the cover of the book, and I'm like, oh, that's that's really cool. But the uh, the the mermaid statues and kind of siren statues, kind of evocative of uh, the name of the ship. I thought that was really cool too. Um, also, during this time, he pulls out his uh, Starfleet crate. Uh, we see a picture of him and his former captain, which I can say, keep the beard, <laughs> keep the beard. He looks so weird without that beard. Um, he looks he like just looks younger. Yeah, he he looks like a kid in that picture uh, with Vandermeer. And I'm just like, yeah, keep the beard. I, I like the beard. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh, he also pulls out a drawing and we don't really get a good look at it from here. But you can kind of tell from the light that the drawing looks like Soji. Um, OK, this is now I guess this is where the setup for the board cube, because I've got it in my notes uh, where she talks about creating a micro collective uh, and her becoming a queen, but not necessarily wanting to her fear of not wanting to release them after they do what they need to do. Yeah. Um, now, I like this scene the first time, but I didn't quite enjoy it as much the second time, um, maybe because it was maybe good for. A, a one time like act type thing. But Rafi has a session with the five holograms and it's fun. Like even the second time, it's still a little fun. But I know since I know watching it a second time, I kind of know the outcome of the conversation. But uh, it is kind of funny to watch all these holograms interact with each other. Emmett's like the only one who just doesn't care to be there. Um, and they're all filling in the pieces of what happened on the Ibn Majid? It was classified. Uh, Vandermeer killed himself. Um, Jana was on the ship. And so Rafi gets enough of the picture. But the, there's the scene where, like, they all knock their head at the exact same time. Which yeah, that was, is pretty funny. was funny. But I did have a hard time also telling the EMH, uh, the ENH, and the hospitality program apart from each other. Because, like, at points... I felt like they were wearing the opposite costumes, but I, I, it's just because they're, you have. They're, they're not the the EMH has like on the same sort of suit that the navigator does. Mm -hmm. Only he's not wearing a tie, and I think the navigator might be wearing a tie. But the hospitality guy has his hair really, really slicked back. So I don't know if that's maybe like a female thing where I'm always noticing what everybody's wearing and like, you know, what they look like and stuff. But I didn't have an issue telling them apart. The only ones I knew for sure, like, were, of course, Ian uh, and Emmett, because they were drastically different from the other ones. But they, they just they, I was having just a little bit of a hard time. And it's and it's only because you have five versions of the same actor 
sitting okay. there and you're like, okay, wait, which one is this? Which one is this? Oh, and you know, it's then it's evident, of course, when the one says my Hippocratic coding and all that. Um, but it was a little, what I, I, I don't know if I had a harder time. I think I had a harder time the first time I watched it following on which one was which, but I had an easier time the second time. Um, well, and I think even Rafi calls them by the wrong names. Does she? I think she's, because isn't Ian the Scottish one, yes. right? Yes. So when she says Ian, you called her Jana, she was actually oh. talking to the Irish one, which was the navigator who called her Jana. Yes, yes. That I don't know if that was intentional. I think that that was a complete accident because Ian actually says yes. I think that that's a goof. Because yeah, he, he, I, I hope I hope that's a goof because I was like, wait, that's not who you were talking to. You were talking to that one. Right. Yeah, I did pick up on that because I'm like, wait a minute. No, because he said he didn't know who she was. And it was only the navigation hologram that was able to uh, it was the one who came up with the name Jana. So, it, yeah, that I think was actually a complete goof that I think maybe even the writers got confused on which hologram <laughs> was supposed to be uh, responding to that. Um so then we go back to the med bay. Uh, Girardi wakes up to Picard and they discuss the betrayal that she kind of talks about this threshold moment that they're reaching, that hell came once before. And it's now at that point where it's going to come again. Um, Rafi then goes to Rios's cabin. And I thought this was really funny because he's playing uh, records on an old record player. Uh, it's actually a Billie Holiday um, record. And uh, she goes, oh, was that his Walkman? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it would be some like, could you imagine what people like 300 years from today would go back and look at like our phones and be like, oh, is that a CD player? Like it's, <laughs> you know, I could totally see that being something that would be, especially when you're going something so analog, you're going to, you know, a record player versus even just an MP3 player or anything like that. Uh, so I thought that was a cute little, little funny moment. Um, but he, uh, explains to her everything that happened on the Ibn Majid, um, that they had a first contact, uh, situation. Um, and this is all also intercut with, uh, Girardi asking questions of Soji and, uh, you know, like, do you eat or what do you do when you're hungry? What do you do when you're thirsty? What do you do when you're sad? Do you sleep? Um, but the more important part of the conversation is Rios and Rafi talking and they had a first contact situation uh, in the Vite sector, which is where um, Soji's quote unquote home planet is in uh, and that they came across Jana and uh, beautiful flower was the name of the male, which I thought was really weird. You have one that has like a normal name and then one that has such a, uh, you, you know, unusual just, name. Yeah. An unusual name. Like it would have made sense. Like if Jana was like, uh, flowing water or something like that, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it, it, well, it's, when we get to episode nine, they all seem to have these very interesting names. So I don't know. Right. And, um, so it was just, it was a little weird, but you know, I, I'll, it, it's a minor thing because the, the rest of the explanation is, uh, is really good. But, um, that there was a black flag directive, uh, that, uh, Vandermeer was given, and he then kills uh, both uh, Beautiful Flower and Jana. And uh, that O was 
potentially the one who gave the gave the order. So I think it was um, very interesting that I, I, I feel like the Black Flag Directive is kind of like a Section 31 type situation. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, but then after, uh, you know, Vandermeer killed uh, the... Um, the two synths, like he, he ends up killing himself, uh, which is what has kind of haunted Rios this entire time. Now we, we knew that he was a haunted character, but we didn't know why. Now we kind of get this full explanation. I would have preferred to have seen this in flashback. Um, I don't know about you. What do do you think? Do you think it was fine as just kind of exposition or would you have preferred to have seen it? Um, I think it was fine as exposition, but yeah, a quick little flashback, maybe in just like really fast snippets. Like we didn't have, we don't have to have a full scene if that, you know, we don't have to have the full thing, maybe just a, you know, quick, quick, quick little pieces might've been nice for the show. Don't tell, but yeah, he was just obviously very guilty that he went after his captain so hard. And now he feels guilty that he pushed him and made him kill himself. Right. And, um, I, yeah, I just, cause like the one thing that I do feel like that's missing from the show is, and I, I get it. Like Picard's not in Starfleet anymore, but I would like to see some of the Starfleet vessels, um, more of the uniforms and stuff like that, because like that, that is Star Trek to me. But, um, that's such a minor thing to me like that. It's, it's not the make or break. It just, I, I would like to see more of it, which I assume again, because we know that a fleet is organized, that we might see more of that in uh, the finale. But I, yeah, I would agree. Like if they had even shown snippets, because most of the other characters all get some form of flashback, and Rios is the only one that kind of gets just exposition. Um, so then we go back to the Borg cube. Narissa is killing uh, some of the XBs, and um, during this time. Um, seven begins the reactivation of the, um, the Borg and, uh, she's too late. And this was, I think my biggest disappointment. I think this is what we were talking about where the execution was flawed. Um, because we don't even get to see those Borg. Um, we get a far view, all CGI'd and they space all the Borg. And even when they're spaced outside, they're just like little pinpricks, you don't get to see any of the Borg or anything like that. And I was very disappointed in that. Yeah, that I think that still, once again, goes back to take out that Borg stuff from the last episode, rework all of it, and have had that here. Hugh could have still even been alive and been him and Elnor keeping him out of the Queen Cell while they give seven time to do this and still be too late. I mean, there's just so many possibilities that could have happened Yeah, that the way that they chose just feels disappointing to me. And I think overall, I think the, the Borg cube um, storyline or just even the idea of what they've wanted to do with it has not been very well executed. I think it was, it started out fine at the very beginning of the season, but the rest of the stuff, like, has felt kind of rushed and like, well, we didn't really think about putting the board cube in this, but then we did. And now we just got to figure out how we get the characters from point A to point B and still resolve everything that we've now set up there. Um, because we still don't have, even as of episode nine, 
everything all kind of situated and wrapped up with a nice little bow for that boar cue. So it did feel like a huge, like I wanted to see like, cause we even had that, you know, funny little sign that we joked about the, uh, it's been five thousand some hundred some hundred days without an assimilation that we would have seen some like little bit of a battle between some of the Romulans and um and the Borg like the obviously the Romulans would have been victorious but we could have had some Borg not get spaced or or something yeah or not or not have them spaced quite so easily yeah because like, the Centurion just hits one button and they're all all of the board who were there in stasis just get sucked right out. Right. Um, but I did like that. The fact that like since seven is connected, that she felt the pain of all of those Borg dying simultaneously. Um, I thought that was like a nice little touch, at least showing how connected to the collect that mini collective she was and kind of a throwback to her being a part of the collective in Voyager. Um so we now go back to the La Serena. Soji brings Girardi out into the hold and Girardi is saying she'll turn herself in um, for the murder of Bruce Maddox uh, and that she's you know no longer going to try to hurt or harm Soji. Um, I wouldn't or, trust that. Well, 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 again, we'll have to see how episode 10 plays out. Um, right. Because like yeah we have so you and i both were talking before recording about some stuff that we still have questions and concerns about with what they did in episode nine but i i I feel like she's trying to be genuine but there could be something else that happens later on that uh prevents that from actually being her true intent but yeah uh, and i don't even know like just even from a plot point but just from a character's perspective of if i was soji I mean, I might say, yeah, you know, whatever, but I'm I don't know that I'd ever fully trust her. We, we I guess we'll we'll see because episode <laughs> nine was definitely interesting. Um, so Rios replicates fries and peppermint ice cream, which just sounds disgusting. Sounds delicious. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm, I am one of those people who gets a Wendy's Frosty and dips my fries in it. Well, that's a little bit different. You're getting chocolate. Okay, chocolate, maybe, but I I don't I don't typically do that. But peppermint and fries. uh, Yeah, that's an awesome combination. I can't wait to try that this winter when Wendy's comes out with a peppermint frosty. Oh, God, I think our (laughs) friendship has to be over now. Um, So Rafi explains um, what they know so far. And I find this a little weird and odd. I don't know how it works, but. You have O being a half Vulcan, half Romulan, um, which I know I, I don't remember if we talked about it in our in our first set of the reviews uh, with episodes one through three. But I know we've talked about it at least at work or off air because um, I was convinced right away from the episode that O is introduced that she was a Romulan agent. Um, and I don't know how I feel about and you were like oh no she's Vulcan and so I guess we were both kind of right in that scenario (laughs) but it feels really weird that she would be a half Vulcan half Romulan yeah it does seem strange when you know how much those two races don't like each other the only thing that I was thinking was well maybe it has something to do with the destruction of Romulus and then I was trying to remember 
when that happened within this timeline, and I guess it doesn't go back far enough. No, no, for, it wouldn't. For her to be that old, because I was thinking, well, you know, maybe those two races, some of them come together because, um, you know, Next Generation, Leonard Nimoy was there, and they had the reunification arc. Right. But... I, I I don't know. Maybe maybe O's parents were part of that reunification arc. I you know and I still think that that together. would even, I don't know. I still think that would be even. And I apologize if you hear the dog uh, whining in the background, but she she still wants to be out and playing. Um, but I don't I don't think that that still would have been um, enough time for her to have been like born during the reunification time because like. She's still pretty darn old, not to, yeah. you know, make fun of the actress or anything like that. But it's just like she's considering how long Vulcans live and everything and even Romulans. I would have to assume that like she could even be the same age as Picard. So she and we don't know how long she was in Starfleet uh, to work her way up to the ranks and how long it would have even taken for her to become a Commodore and, uh, and, you know, into that position of power. You have to assume like she wasn't there yet during the next generation era. And even up through the movies that maybe, uh, after insurrection or not, uh, insurrection nemesis, um, she finally was in that position of power. So it still feels a little weird. Uh, but I guess it makes sense. I don't, Considering there is that split between the Vulcans and the Romulans, it would have to take one very highly illogical Romulan or uh, Vulcan and one uh, maybe, well, no, all Romulans are really irrational. Um, Just that crazy Romulan, maybe even just uh, one from the Jat Vash who was just doing it to uh, continue the mission or figured it was uh, strategically the best motive to have uh, a half Romulan, half Vulcan kind of infiltrate Starfleet that way. Um, so they talk about how, um, you know, that they've talked about the, the eight, uh, sons and how that there's this kind of warning on it that they call it the admonition, um, that, uh, once we cross that threshold moment, somebody will show up and they don't know whether or not that's, you know, uh, another life form or in a, a synthetic life form, but, a, but a destroyer essentially will show up and wipe out life, uh, if synthetics are allowed to essentially evolve. Um, and that the Romulans organized the attack on Mars, which I, again, like it shows to the level of kind of either deceit or willingness to sacrifice billions in order to kind of keep this secret mission going because the whole thing on Mars was the building of the ships to evacuate the Romulans from Romulus before the supernova hit. So they were willing to sacrifice their entire planet and a good portion of their species just to promote this synthetic band and and to try to take out synthetics altogether. But much like you and I speculated back in those early episodes, especially when they showed the attack on Mars, we knew somebody was behind it because of how the, uh, the synthetics eye is kind of like flashed, uh, like it was receiving programming and coding and why it destroyed itself after it it had uh, succeeded in its mission. So no one could backtrack any type of coding or data that was 
put into the synthetic's brain. Um, so Soji uh, kind of has a little bit of a lash out, like not at anyone, but, you know, it's just out of pure frustration. Um, she goes to Rios's uh, cockpit, locks him out, and is plotting a course to go to her home planet. Um, and I liked how Rios had his back door. Uh, you know, yeah. singing his little lullaby and his little thing like my mom didn't like people playing with her stuff I don't either <laughs> and it just like I don't I don't know how you can't like Rios's character I, I think yeah he's very much a Han Solo-esque type character but I think he's appropriately flawed but also very charismatic and um just again, they've done a really good job well rounding a lot of these characters that I think is what endears them so much to me. Um, and he, you know, manages to kind of talk Soji down a little bit, but Picard's like, no, we've tried it my way. We've tried it, um, uh, so-and-so's way. Now we're going to do it her way. And he sits down in the pilot chair, pulls up the whole thing and he's getting ready to do something. And then he's like, I don't know how to work this, <laughs> which I feel like some people will have an issue with, but it makes complete sense. I mean, you it and really I, does. well, you and I work in, in a field where like we grew up with computers. Uh, so we have a better understanding of computers, but we work with older employees that have problems with basic functions of their computers, like how to close out an Excel or how to pull up an Excel or how to, do uh, this type of setting on their computer or that type of setting. I had to uh, advise because we are currently in a work from home all the time situation in our work uh, that I was uh, I am in with another worker who didn't know how to fix their brightness on their display screen. They wanted it brighter and they didn't know how to do it. So I had to walk them through that. So it would make perfect sense that Picard, who hasn't really been behind a con of a starship, even back in Next Generation era, although he would know how to pilot the Enterprise, uh, now we have this leap forward in technology where it's more of a hologram-type interface. Because uh, like every time we see it, like Rios is, is using it to pilot, that we can understand Picard wouldn't have any necessarily working knowledge um, of the flight systems, especially of a, even a non-Starfleet uh, vessel. So um, we uh, also have the Romulan fleet appears. Um, uh, Romulan fleet appears outside the Borg cube. The XBs take out the Centurion and attack Narissa, but she's beamed out uh, at the last second. And then they plan. Uh, we'll go back to the La Serena. They're planning the uh, trip to Soji's planet and. Um, they are going to use a um, Borg conduit, which is, again, a nice throwback to Voyager um, to try to get to there quicker. Um, Seven disconnects from the queen cell. That pretty much wraps up that bit of the story. Uh, and then there's a nice little conversation with Rios and Picard, and they're talking about Vandermeer and why it wasn't necessarily so much that Rios had kept pressing him about the why did you do this? Why did you do this? But more that 
it was Vandermeer's own personal guilt that he thought he could live with uh, killing two synthetics because they're not real people, but it was still too much for his own conscience that he ended up turning a phaser on himself. Um, So again, I thought it was a nice little moment between Picard and Rios uh, and they begin to head through the conduit and we have a Romulan tail decloak and follow them into the conduit. And that's the end of the episode. Um, So overall, I, I like the episode. I think I land on a four out of five on this one because mainly the missed opportunities on the board cube um, and some m- minor flaws. Like we pointed out the kind of the goof on uh, Rafi talking to the wrong hologram about identifying Jana um, and some just minor things here and there that were a little inconsistent for me. But I think the, the board cube stuff was the biggest missed opportunity uh, to show more of a struggle, more of a fight to fix the story a little bit like we talked about with taking some of the stuff from episode seven and restructuring it. So it flowed better into episode eight. Um, and I think I would have even preferred more if we had only some minor La Serena moments, uh, and more just cube, uh, board cube, uh, moments focused on like, kind of like how I was, it was the inverse, uh, in the last episode. So I, I still really like it. Um, it's really going to be interesting to see how it goes into the finale. Um, because we, like we said, we're going to cover the episode nines and 10 together. So we have the full picture and we can have a better idea how we feel about episode nine. Once we see kind of the conclusion, I think that's how it's best to handle most two parter episodes because you don't have all of the information yet. So how can you quite fully judge a part one without knowing the events of part two. So I, I don't have any much else uh, to say about it. I, I, again, I've seen a lot of stuff like I haven't watched the videos, but a lot of people's just saying that this is destroying Star Trek. This is destroying Picard. And I still don't quite see it. Um, maybe I see a little bit of it in the next episode, but still not completely and not to the extent that it has ruined Star Trek for me in its entirety. So what what are your final thoughts? Um, I'd probably agree. I I would give it a four out of five because, again, for me, the major plot hole is the stuff with the EMH. But I do agree that reworking the Borg Cube stuff from the previous episode and everything that... Because I just think of, here's another situation. You could have done it this way. You could have done it that way that would have, I felt, paid off better and done more justice to each of the characters. So that is a little disappointing and brings it down to a four. But otherwise, you know, I'm still enjoying it. I still like the show. I find myself getting pulled in and forgetting to take notes when I sat down to take notes, (laughs) you know, because I'm just paying attention and enjoying what's going on. I'm entertained, you know, and and that's what this is. It's entertainment. Right, right. And and that's what it's supposed to be. And again, like this is more Star Trek than Discovery has ever been. Um, Yeah. So like whatever you want to lob on it, that they're not doing Picard justice, that they're he's, he's supposed to be the focus of the show. You still got to remember Patrick Stewart is in his eighties. He can't be the actor. He was in next generation back in the late eighties and early nineties. It's just, it's not, you know, feasible. Um, right. Like, and I think some people who are 
like upset with, oh, well, he's always getting yelled at by women. Um, I told you recently I've started watching another channel on YouTube where they're taking their friend who has never seen The Next Generation through it. And it's really interesting to watch her reactions to having having no basis for any Star Trek whatsoever, watching The Next Generation. But those episodes come up and Picard gets chewed out by Admiral Nechev all the time. Like, oh, yeah. they argue all the time. It's not something that never, ever happened before. Right. And there's, like, a lot of things uh, that they're just, like, I, I feel like they're just nitpicking. And, again, a lot of these channels have kind of made their clout as being ones that, um, you know, they they latched onto certain things that they were right on. And then they made their bones on it. And now they feel like they have to keep perpetuating that image that they have always got to be the contrarian. And again, this is just what becomes my huge problem of film criticism, TV criticism in general, because like I get it. The, the problem with, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, there's an issue there where critics are doing it for access. So they'll give a glowing review just so that they can get more access to more more media and more projects and you know, I would love to be able to go see the next Avengers movie like three months before it gets to actually air out, uh, you know, in the States or something like that. But to point, you know, when you're being always the constant contrarian, you're doing the exact same thing. You're just doing it in the opposite manner. So you have to strike that balance of, yeah, there were things that that bugged me. There were things that I didn't even bring up in my review of this episode that I, I picked up the second time. Where I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's a little bit of that that political agenda stuff um, that they're they're throwing in there. But does it really actually impact the story that they're telling or the scene that I'm watching? And in reality, no, it doesn't. And so, yeah, I might be able to pick it up on a social perspective type of, uh, of thing, but it's not what's actually impacting my viewing of watching the thing. Uh, in of itself and if that's the case like then if it really does like if it's something that is forced um, ham-fisted is not well integrated into uh, into the story that's when I have the issue that I feel like it's something I need to bring up in a review um, there like the the most infamous one I can think of is watching uh, season 11 of Doctor Who and the Rosa Parks episode I, by all means, should have absolutely loved that episode. I like a lot when they deal with the historical side of things. But there were moments of dialogue in that episode and things that they did that were so much propaganda and also um, <laughs> as much as it was trying to fight racism ended up being more racist in of itself that I can't understand how people didn't pick up on that. That's when something like that, when it when it's actually impacting my viewing and enjoyment of the story that I feel like it's justifies justified criticism when you're bringing it up. I try to leave all that stuff out of these type of reviews. And uh, I think um, I oh, oh, when uh, Pat and I did our um, Christmas uh, review and we did a review of Noel on Disney Plus. We I had some uh, issues with it, with a kind of an agenda thing that they were pushing, but I didn't feel like that was in my place in a review because it was what is a general audience going to think of this? What are they going to uh, expect of it? If I'm uh, if they're not in tune to maybe the political spectrum or into the, the social justice spectrum of things, 
they're not going to pick up on that. So why should I bring that up in my review if it's not going to really impact their viewing perspective of it? And so I think when people are are doing that, especially right now with Picard, it's like, okay, I get it, but normal people aren't really going to be picking up on that stuff. And Star Trek in general has been a very progressive show in of itself. It's an idealized futuristic society that tries to view us all getting along and taking care of one another and just being at peace with the world and with space and yet being prepared for uh, moments like what we're seeing in Picard. But as long as they're not doing anything extremely egregious, which I feel like it has not been done yet. No. Then there's no point in, in tacking on to those those particular views. So. Uh, that's just me on my usual soapbox when I get, I'm so impassioned about the idea of what I feel like is true criticism versus what, what is cynicism. And I feel like that's all we are filled with now is cynicism. Uh, my shout's got to be louder than your shout and we can butt heads and we're button heads for clicks, but that's just not the whole point of this thing. And, um, I didn't mean to go on this little rant. It just, just kind of happened. So, uh, well, wrap it back up. I yes. think the big question to take away from this episode is who shows up when we cross that threshold line of synthetic life. Right. And I, I do feel based on what we saw for the preview for episode 10, I feel like we're going to see that. Um, I'm, well, that's, that's one of those things, like you said, but we'll probably talk about in the next review, but, they definitely need to give me a little more of an explanation. Like they can't hold back too much from answering questions for season two for me. Right. With what we've already seen. They, they need to wrap up. I'd say like now, uh, and they've wrapped up most things, um, but they, they still have probably, uh, I don't want to do a percentage cause I'm not sure it'll, it'll work out right, but they <laughs> got know. a few, they got a the, few plot they, threads. They've wrapped up pretty much, but they still have a couple things that I feel like, you have to answer this question. Right. You can't hold it to next season. Right. And they've even set up some more plot threads in episode nine that I feel like do need to be wrapped up in episode 10 uh, and not left for the next season. I think if they're going to do anything that needs to be left for next season, that needs to be set up in episode 10 near the end of the episode. But for the majority of all the storylines they wrapped up, uh, or that they need to wrap up. They need to wrap up Girardi's storyline. They need to wrap up Rafi's storyline, Eleanor's storyline, Seven's storyline, Rios' storyline, uh, Soji's storyline. Like, these all need to finally come into a culmination within the events of Episode 9 and 10 with a few little plans for Season 2. Because I don't necessarily want Season 2 to continue this story. I feel like yeah. they've they've really played out the story very well but I don't see it being a multi-season story. And most most shows don't do that anyways. Um, they might, again, like they'll, they'll wrap everything up, but then they'll put in the seeds for what's going to be the next big thing. And since this is kind of, well, it's not the first because Discovery was really doing it first, but since this is kind of telling one single story versus the episodic serial nature of Next Generation, and I think that's been the biggest difficulty for people to adapt to. But that's just how most television is nowadays. I mean, everyone loves Game of Thrones, and that's how Game of Thrones is. is 
big, long, multi-season arcs that, you know, they they wrap up the main part in that season one, but they've planted the, the points for season two. Like, the whole begin episode one, Winter's Coming. That is the entire arc of, of Game of Thrones, but they have their own individual plots that fit together like a puzzle piece, and I just kind of hope that where... Uh, I would like to see basically Picard reinstated at Starfleet and then maybe we see him behind a a ship again and doing some stuff elsewhere. But at the same time, I don't know how that's going to work out just with Patrick Stewart's age, how many seasons they plan for it, whether or not it'll get picked up for a season three. Those are all things that are going to have to play in flux and, yeah. One thing I can hope and at least like Lost in Space is going to get to do this because I know I talked to you. I, I felt like season two was going to get can or well, season after season two it was going to get canceled. But they had set up a, a very interesting story for season three that I would have felt really kind of let down if we didn't get the conclusion for that. And one of the biggest uh, and so fortunately it did. It's going to get a final season. It's going to get an ending. So I hope like at least with the length or longevity of Picard, it'll have that ability too. because I go back to um, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. It got canceled after season two and season two just left it on such a huge cliffhanger. You had John Connor going to the future and like being stuck there. And you're like, that's where you're going to end the show. We're not going to see what he does there, how he gets back to the, the present day. Like I don't ever want that to happen with uh, a show like Picard. So we'll, we'll be following it very closely. I know it, fortunately it is renewed for season two. So we at least have one more season. Um, I hope that it's generated enough interest in CBS all access that they can justify at least a third season. I think doing maybe three seasons will be fine and that'll be enough for Patrick Stewart. Um, and then maybe doing another spinoff who knows. So I think that's going to do it for us this week. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at critics and T cynics. You can write into the podcast at critics, not cynics at gmail.com. Um, you can follow us on iTunes, um, Podbean, Spotify, Google play, uh, we're in the midst of uh, a giveaway thing right now. We're still waiting on some reviews to see if they'll get on iTunes. Um, but uh, I think that's it. So we will see you guys next time. And we will be having probably a very long episode discussing episodes 9 and 10 of Star Trek Picard. So we will see you next time.